everyone and welcome to the Representative Round episode for 2019 of Refs Roundup. It's great to be back in the studio to chat about the weekend's games and what's been happening in the world of refereeing. And a very lovely welcome to my favourite NRL referee and my favourite husband, Gavin Badger. Hello, Gavin. Hey, Case. Great weekend of footy, eh? With um, Rep Round just... Um finished up and all started Friday night with the women's state of origin at North Sydney Oval um, and you know a pleasure to be out there again and, and fortunate to you know, have the time to go out there on Friday night and experience what was a, a great night for rugby league. Yeah, it was fantastic. So uh, you and I headed out there last year and I remember saying how pumping the crowd was. And I think there was a bit under 7,000 maybe last year. And then we look, when we looked at the crowd this year, there was 10,500. So we got in early to get a car park and went to a pub down the road to have a feed. And as we walked to the ground, there were lines that were... 200 metres long at both ends of the ground of people trying to get in into the ground, um, which, you know, it's not not great that you've got people waiting in a line, but on the scheme of things, you look at it and go, wow, oh, that's actually amazing for the game to have that much interest. Yeah, and, and the fact that it was a Friday night in North Sydney, which is, you know, which isn't the easiest place to get to on a Friday night, you know, you're heading into the middle of the city, and it was cold as well. And the fact that 10,000 people turned up to watch that game, knowing that that game was live on TV as well. Mm. And, you know, speaking of live on TV, we had a great response on TV with um, audiences and, and viewership up. But just the fact that 10,000 people turned up. And one of the highlights for me was, we went last year and there was a lot of young girls in the crowd. But going this year, there was a lot of young girls in the crowd wearing their local football gear. Yeah. You know, so there was a lot of girls wearing their local club jerseys. It shows that, you know, there's so much more, um, so, so many more uh, girls and women out there participating on field, not just off field in our, in our great game. Yeah, absolutely. Um, definitely a highlight, I think, on our calendars um, each year. And w- what was um, one of the debates over the week has been, you know, should the women have been the curtain raiser to the men's and, um, you know, surely they should be on a big stage there and not at North Sydney Oval. But especially when you, when you speak to the... Um, the players in both the New South Wales and Queensland women's sides, they like that they've got their own event. The fact that they know they've got 10,500 people who are showing up, like you say, on a cold night out to North Sydney because they want to watch them play. They're not there because, oh, this is on before the men's origin, which is what we really want to go and see, um, just speaks volumes. Yeah, and, and for me personally as well, being able to experience that atmosphere and sitting in that crowd, it, it is... It, it would be such a shame, I think, if they were to play at ANZ Stadium at five o'clock before an eight o'clock kickoff for the NRL game, where you might, you may, you may still get the same amount of people mm. there, but the atmosphere will be nothing yeah. like what we experienced on Friday night. I agree. Maybe we need to take it to another venue. Yeah. Um, we were discussing this, maybe a you know a, a Leichhardt or a, a Cronulla, yeah. and obviously taking it up to Queensland. Yeah, as I well, think but Queensland deserve a shot at, yeah. at that as well. But and I think next year that's where it is. It is going. But um, yeah, to have a stadium which can. Uh, have maybe a 20,000 capacity um, to allow more fans to to become engaged with that event um, but still not be lost amongst an 80,000-seat stadium would be fantastic. And and having it the way it is, we're creating superstars of our game. Not female superstars, we're creating superstars – being able to see, you know, Corbin McGregor on um, some of the shows on the weekend and, and, you know, the way she carries herself in front of the media and, and her knowledge of the game, hearing Maddie Studden speak about what it means to play and, you know, watching Ali Brigginshaw and, you know, those, th- those fantastic athletes go out and do their stuff in front of, 
you know, a, a really vocal crowd, I think it just adds to, to ev- you know, everything that we, we, we can be in, in, in that space. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so that opened up the, the weekend of Rep Round with um, an absolute cracker in, in that game and then it just followed on the whole, the whole weekend. Um, we continued with the men's... Um, Cook Islands played South Africa on Friday night. Yeah, as, that was a World Cup as well qualifier. as World Cup qualifier, which Cook Islands won. So now they go on to play the USA. No, they actually played Jamaica. Jamaica oh, beat Jamaica. the USA. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. So USA were winning at halftime, eighteen, twelve or something. Jamaica come home strong and actually beat the US side. I think it's the second time that I've ever wow. beaten them, and it happened to be in a quite important game. Yeah. So now, yeah. So Cook in, Islands and Jamaica will now play off for a spot in, in the next World Cup. Yeah. It's fantastic for the game. Um, and then we had the women's New Zealand Samoa game, New Zealand Tonga. In in the men's, um, and then at Saturday out at, at Leichhardt, um, women's PNG, Fiji, men's Fiji, Lebanon, and men's Samoa, PNG. And do you want to have a quick chat about the game? So you refereed the, the women's PNG, Fiji game, um, which I happened to be at um, in the crowd watching. And another thing I liked about that, there was three games on that day, same thing, cold, you know, miserable sort of sort of mm. Saturday afternoon, but the women's game was on at three o'clock, and we had a pretty good crowd come in, and there were you know fans of the teams playing later on yeah. that were there. You could see in their gear, but they wanted to come out they and ca- experience the whole day of, of international rugby league. Yeah, so for example, there would have been well, there was a bunch of um, Fijian fans because their men and women's teams were, were playing, but like you said, there was a group of um, Lebanese supporters um, in one section of the crowd who were there early for the women's game um, and saw um, Samoan fans as well. So there were a lot of people who got out there to watch three games of football, which again shows the um, interest in the women's game. Um, the quality of the game was um, it was really interesting. There's There were a bunch of players within each team that were just supreme athletes and um, if they could pick up a bit more consistency across the board, uh, the quality of that game will just continue to, to to increase. But the biggest thing I took away from that was that I didn't actually realise until after the game that that was the first time that Fiji had a women's side play. Yeah. And I did not know that. And they um, – so that uh, that was a 28-0 that they won that game. And that's pretty big. For, for the first time that a women's side has played. Yeah, and, and Fiji Rugby League is only going to get bigger and bigger because we, you know, there was an announcement over the weekend that the F- Fiji are going to have a side, uh, the name of the team sort of um, eludes me at the minute, in the New South Wales Ron Massey Cup. So they're going to play home and away in, in that yeah, competition. next season, in the lead up to the year after having a New South uh, Wales yeah, Cup we, we, side. Hopefully, and what that does, it, it just produces athletes to come out of Fiji and we've seen the amazing athletes over a long period of time you can go back to the Noah Andrukas and you know and now the, the Vunavalu's and yeah. and those guys the you know, Marcus Byers amazing athletes that come out of there that are raw talent and you know, we, we put them in structure these guys are going to get rugby league structure way before the guys of the past have mm-hmm. so <laughs> the guys are you know the amazing athletes that are going to come out of, of Fiji and grace our game is yeah. is quite remarkable yeah it is de- definitely exciting to see um just want to touch on the GPS data from the men's origin game and the women's origin game. Uh, we had one change in our officials on the weekend, so it was a big moment for um, for David Munro, um, one of one of our best best mates. Um, unfortunately for Chris Butler, who was one of the um, one of the touch judges appointed to that game, another one of our best mates. <laughs> yeah. um, unfortunately for for him, he um, injured his his calf in the lead up to the game. Um, but with that 
comes an opportunity for, for David, who was appointed as, as the touch judge. Um, so it was a big moment for him and his family who got to fortunately go across and, and watch him debut on the touchline in that game. Um, so if I look at the touch judges, they both covered, so David Munro and Nick Beeshel both covered about eight and a half kilometres in that game, which was up about bit under a kilometre from game one, which is quite interesting to, to see because generally um, the game was a bit slower, especially in the wet. So to see the touch judges covering more distance uh, might have an impact. Uh, you might be able to relate that back to uh, kick distances. Oh, I think it's scoreline. And score, yeah. I think it's scoreline. The run backs. A lot, well, there's a lot <laughs> yeah. more tries in this game. So that we talk about those 80 metre, 90 metre mm. um, run backs post try. So I, I would assume the distance in that game would be based on, on, on that. Yeah. Well, Nick hit, hit the highest um, speed in that game of the four officials, uh, just under 31 kilometres an hour. And in game one, he hit just over 31. So pretty pretty standard for Beach. He's a pretty quick dude. Um, and Ash, if when you look at the two referees, Ash and, and Jerry, uh, Jerry hit just under nine kilometres in the game um, and Ash hit just over nine kilometres in the game. But we spoke on the after the last Origin about game intensity and people who watched the game would have seen the Telstra tracker of the players and um, and what you know what that intensity was about. When we look at the referees, they were at about 95, 96 metres per minute in that game, which, again, is up from the game in Origin 1. Yeah. There's, there's a, I think there's the same with that with with the amount of ball movement in this game and a lot of um, line breaks compared to, to game one. This game was a bit more, even though it was slower because of the conditions, um, it was a bit more open um, and we've we seen a bit of footy on the edges, so that yeah. may, may have some impact on that. Yeah, I just want to have a little look at the women's origin GPS stats um, just to sort of compare the, the speeds of the game. What uh, we Unfortunately, the head referee of that game, Grant Atkins, his GPS... Um, data wasn't coming through properly so we were unable to get hold of that but if I just have a look at the assist referee if we look at Belinda Sleemans um, the max speed was lower and it's hard to compare game distance because the game wasn't the same, same time. Um, length of time yep. but if you look at intensity um, she hit 93.5 metres per minute so very similar isn't it three metres a minute less than the men's game which is pretty much shows the quality of the women's origin. Yeah, and, and you know, we, we obviously touched on that game earlier. Um, t- to me, the, the, the skill level and the ball movement is is right up there. So I've, this doesn't surprise me at all that we're going to have high intensity. Yes, we're going to have less kilometres because less time. Yeah. And yes, the speed at which um, the, the game is run is going to be a touch slower. Like they don't have the high top-end speeders, you know, your Josh Addo cars and, yeah. and the likes. But, um, yeah, when it comes to game intensity, yeah, no doubt that it's It's, it's definitely moving. Well, moving on from the GPS data, someone who's won many of our GPS awards over the years. I still question the, the <laughs> GPS. <laughs> well, we, we, may, we may ask him about his movement patterns. We're lucky enough today to have Ben Cummins join us on the line. Uh, you there, Benny? Yeah, g'day, Tate. How, How are you, mate? Good, thanks. Enjoying the day off? Yeah, yeah, I've done my uh, morning shopping and, yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> it's a big task in our household, but... Uh, <laughs> well, do you, you, do, can do you account for most of that, mate? Yeah, yeah, probably, probably <laughs> half of it, but, yeah. Now, f- first and foremost, we just want to congratulate you. This weekend, you're refereeing your 350th NRL game. That's absolutely amazing, mate. Well done. 
Thank you very much. Just, I, I just want to add a couple of things onto that. So Benny's only the second ever referee to accomplish that feat, mm. 350 games. The only other one is uh, Bill Harrigan on 397, I think it is. Um, and he's also the quickest to get to that point, yeah. which is quite a remarkable fact. The fact that yeah, from when Benny come into you know, refereeing at the highest level, um, he, he virtually has stayed at that yeah. top level for the, his whole career. So he hasn't been pushed back to lower grades. So he's consistently just racked up games because of consistent performances. So yeah. it's a remarkable achievement, Benny, and yeah, one I really congratulate you on. Thanks, Paige. Yeah, it speaks volumes for, you, for your ability, mate. And um, we did have just a bit of a joke about you winning a few of the GPS awards over the last uh, two years, but it is quite impressive to see uh, a head referee win those awards because generally, as we know, the assist referees make uh, a, a cover seem to cover more distance can you do, do you have any sort of thoughts around why uh, you run the distances you do is there something in particular you do in your movement patterns or um, anything that you can put that down to uh, I haven't really thought about it in depth but um, I think it's just the little things where I try and make sure I'm in, in good position and and uh, tick off all the boxes in regards to that uh, I probably loiter a fair bit too uh, you know, when play when players are offloading or yeah. um, you know they're about to be tackled, so there's probably some movement in that. But I, I probably think it's just basically just positioning, trying to get into that best position all the time. And you know, a, a meter here and a meter there, it all adds up. So across the that game, maybe yeah. the reason that's yeah. pro- probably one of the reasons it's contributed Benny, to your 350 games. Benny does go really deep in the end goal too, so yeah. he probably <laughs> makes up 10 meters every time he's in the end goal. <laughs> That's how yeah. you win the awards. <laughs> um, so you were fortunate enough, enough on the weekend, mate, to uh, referee the New Zealand and Tonga Test match on on Saturday across in um, in New Zealand. Uh, talk us through. Talk, talk to us about that game. Um, you know what uh, what what was it like, and and how was it to referee? Uh, it's it's fantastic. I've, I've been involved in these games before, uh, not New Zealand and Tonga, but you know Tonga Samoa. And for me, it's just purely enjoyable. Uh, the crowd, uh, the fans, uh, they, they create, create an atmosphere that you generally don't see uh, unless you're at Origin or, or in a final series in the NRL. Uh, and for me, just to be part of that, uh, you know, I was so fortunate to be given the opportunity. Um, yeah, it's basically the fans. If you, it's hard to imagine, but if you go out to these, you can see it on TV, but if you're out in the field and just see a sea of red, and you've got fans singing during the game. Even Tonga were getting uh, beaten quite quite well, but their fans just started to sing in the second half. And you know, I had goosebumps um, during the course of the game. It was, it was uh, amazing. Yeah. Speaking about that, so you go, you get appointed to a test match, and as everyone knows, in the NRL, we um, run out there with, with two of us on the field, so there's two referees. You get appointed to a test match, so all of a sudden you've got to go back to refereeing as one ref. And, and like you said, you would very rarely do it unless you're appointed to a test match. Um, so does your preparation change a lot going into that, knowing that you don't have a second referee out there? And um, do you think it ha- one referee on the field has a, an impact in those test matches? Yeah, it, to answer your first question about the preparation, you, you do need to prepare for it. It, it is a change and like... Uh, um, you know, human nature. If you do something week in, week out, like a two referee system, you, know, you form habits uh, and you have uh, systems in place to, to referee that way. So, doing the one referee system, you, obviously some skills uh, during the week and looking at the the rule changes and just role playing a few different scenarios. So, you know, for instance, um, instead of refereeing 
some of the plays over the ruck, like the two ref system, you've really got to work your butt off and get back on the 10 uh, to con- control that uh, on every ruck. That's just one example. Um, you know, shortcutting at scrums. Just, yeah, a lot of things like that. So you just sort of work through those, role play some of those scenarios and practice it. And then, yeah, you'll have that happen during the game. So that's, that's what we did uh, before last week's game. Um, and I've forgotten your second question. Just, just, what, <laughs> just the differences like when you're out there and, and, and for the game around not having that, that second set of eyes behind the ruck and not having that person there help assist get, you know, get the players out of the ruck. Do you think it has a big impact? All things considered, that majority of the players that you refereed play in the NRL week in, week out. Yeah, it, look, it does have an impact, I believe. Uh, I think there's positives to both systems, you know, the two refs and the one ref. Uh, one ref, obviously, you, you can massage a game and control that game because um, it's in your head and, and, you know, you have a feel for that you don't really have to share as much with the, the second referee. But, you know, also with the second two referees, um, there's a lot of things going around the, at the ruck, you know, markers, lost balls, strips that are quite hard to, to pick up with one set of eyes. So um, I, I wouldn't say, you know, I prefer one or the other, but I think there's positives to both systems. Uh, and for me, going out as one referee, I, I really enjoy that. Um, I can't explain why, but uh, I just like sort of going out as one referee and, and um, yeah, having, having control of that game by myself. Have you found, Benny, that... Because you've you've refereed in a lot of tournaments as well, so like World Cups and Four Nations and and such. Do you find that when you go back to one referee, that for a game like on the weekend where it was just a one-off, that's one thing. But for when you go into a tournament where these teams, um, when they're compiled of majority NRL players, um, do their habits or behaviours or how the, 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 the rucks pan out... Or, any, or anything else, um, does that seem to change over the course of a tournament based on having the one referee as opposed to, um, I guess, the one-off test match like you did on the weekend? Yeah, I think it does. Yeah, I think, um, obviously, you know, the, the coach of the team and the, and the, the players uh, impact upon that, but um, it's, it's definitely, I've noticed that uh, a couple of World Cups I've been to, that it's definitely def- different play. Um, players will try more in the with a single referee, yeah. um, I, I don't know if you know being a bit more unstructured in a play contributes to that, but it, it's definitely different. Yeah, um, with your game on on the weekend, uh, anyone who who watched the game or has has, has followed um, any of the the sport news cycles over the last few days would have seen how much emotion was in the game. Um, there were some great scenes of players like Benji Marshall crying. Um, you know, before the game, during anthems, during huckers um, and such. Uh, how does that sort of emotion, uh, or how did that emotion in that game, does it impact the players when they're playing and does it impact you and the other officials in how you referee the game or, or what things do you have to consider when there is that sort of emotion amongst players? Uh, I think you just have that self-awareness that there will will be emotion. First of all, you know, as you mentioned with Benji and with the uh, cultural dancers at the start, you can just see it. Like some of those players look like they're having a, an out-of-body experience. Their eyes are, are rolling, and <laughs> for me, the challenge is, is you know, we go through that process, and again, I get goosebumps and I embrace it. I think it's fantastic, but then it's it's back to saying that we're here for business and. Yeah. Um, and, and getting back to, to their business as a referee in the game. Um, yeah, 
Yeah, so so, so they yeah, go sorry. through those. Sorry, so they go through those. You know, the cultural, the war dancers, the huckers, um, and then yeah, like you say, all of a sudden you've got to kick off. Do you have something to to switch your your focus? Because I would be very much like you, where you know, any time I watch them, I get the goosebumps, and you just think, wow, this is fantastic and amazing. But then, yeah, I've got to do a job, well, a well, job now. How do you? Yeah, yeah how do you all, manage that? You're almost like become part of it don't you yeah. like when you're out there on the field because you've got your teammates with you and you would generally link arms as a group as well so you start to feel like part of that sort of moment moment and then yeah you've got to switch back on so yeah do you have a trigger or anything around that ben not really i just probably internalize it or so, you know say to the to the team uh or my team team you know let's get back into back on the business here and sometimes it'll be a, another quick warm-up run uh um, just a few little concentration things, uh, yeah, movement, movement patterns or whatever, and that puts you back, back onto it. But normally it's just an internal, internal thing. And I think one of the I didn't mention it before, but with the players, that's one of the challenges too, because different players, yeah, you know, once they do those uh, the dances and um, like the haka, for instance, some players you can see it, it appears that they do it more intensely than others, and you think, oh. How are they going to go on the first set of six or the first tackle? Yeah. And just being just being ready for if something does happen. Um, yeah. yeah we, we often say as a, as a group, I know before, um, like Anzac round, for example, where we have the longer break before, like from the from when we come out onto the field and the teams come out onto the field, we have a longer break between then and and kick off. So because we have the anthems and we have the last post playing and and all, and all sorts of other things depending on what uh, what round it is. Uh, that it just seems like more often than not something does happen in that first set. So from the kickoff, um, a something ball is weird. yeah something weird. A ball is dropped, or the ball gets kicked out on the full, or it could be you know a myriad of of different things. Um, so have, have you found that as well that you know just you have to be ready for the unusual when the start of the game is different to usual. Yeah, that's right. It's just that, like, uh, it's just that awareness. You know, that if you if you're aware that things like that might happen, you'll be ready and be uh, prepared for it, and that's all, all you can really do. And and you know, if, you, if you've watched other games or been part of other games where that does happen, that helps you because you can learn from those sort of situations that have been before. Yeah. Um, so the, the emotion in that game is is one thing, but then we thought we might ask you about how you deal with players' emotions in other types of games. So that's yeah, that's one type of emotion where it's 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 I guess pride, um, you know, and thinking about their families and their and their culture. But there's other types of emotions that players show during games that we have to be aware of as referees. So times like when there's desperation from a team, you know, it might be in the last few rounds of the season where, you know, their ability to make the top eight is on the line or in semi-finals or... Players playing yeah. against their old clubs. Yeah, so like know, at the start yeah. of the year, the first game that Tigers and Penrith played against each other, you know, yeah. because there'd been such a media um, hype around, yeah. you know, all the changes between coaches and players and whatnot. The South Broncos game. Yeah. You know, there was yeah. a lot of media around that. Around that. E- even, you know, players, when they get emotional after decisions and, you know... Each player has, you know, you get some players that are a lot worse and, and the way they come. How do you deal individually with certain players or certain, you know, sort of aspects of a game where it can get heightened and you need to make sure that you're the voice of reason or the calmness? Yeah, it's a, it's a good point you make. And um, I think frustration is probably the, the main one that we deal with on field because obviously, you know, we make so many decisions in the game and uh, they're not all going to be correct. And even if they are, some players will see it a, a different way. So, 
for me, that's that's the big one. Just uh, you know, dealing with a player that feels aggrieved with a decision, uh, and I think um, it's, had, it's been that calm, calm head there, I suppose, and controlling my my own emotions. So, you know, if a player comes at me and uh, I go back at him just as hard, and you know, you're just you're just escalating the, the situation. So for me, it's just about trying to remain remain calm. And you know, we're all human beings, and sometimes that's not possible. But if you if you go out there and, and, and try not to inflame the situation, you know, by one, your, your actions, your body language or how you talk to that player, um, you're heading in the right direction. Um, I suppose giving time and space to, you know, when players come, if you can do that, that helps you control your own emotions. And generally, the, uh, you know, a player will, will have time as well to calm down before they uh, come and say what they really think. Um, and, that, yeah, that's probably the, the main thing for me. I, and I, I know it's not... You know, you, you often hear the throwaway line, oh, you know, uh, we're not being respectful for the players. But I think, uh, you know, all referees at all times will try and respect a player, no matter what the situation. But for me, that's um, one of the highest priorities for me. Uh, even if their you know, behaviour is unacceptable or whatever, I'll always try and respect them um, and treat them, uh, talk to them and treat them the right way. Yeah. And that's one thing. I think the big take out of that is that we, we always try not to inflame the situation. It's about calmness. It's about, you know, not trying to speak over the top of players. It's about not trying to get into a confrontation. And I think that's a big thing for young referees to take out of it, that it's always about trying to, you know, extinguish the flames instead of pouring petrol on them. Um, I wanted to thank you very much for your time today, Benny. It's, I know it's your day off and, you know, we, we, we don't have a lot of spare time when it comes to, to giving up our time. So I really appreciate occasionally I really appreciate you um, coming on and speaking to us today and yeah once again I really want to congratulate you on what is you know Benny's the kind of guy that doesn't sort of jump up and down for milestones and he's the most laid-back guy in in our squad but um, 350 games games is an amazing achievement and just you know from from everyone want to just congratulate you on that and thank you for your time Benny yeah well done thanks Benny yeah thanks guys and badge thank you see you tomorrow mate bye-bye bye all right, it's great to have Benny there um, to to join us, and hopefully our listeners got a bit a, a bit out of that. And yeah, like Badge said, it's massive for him to do 350 games. To think about how many, um, well, how few players have played, um, you know that that number of games. Uh, it's it's a pretty impressive feat. Well, yeah, in, in the history of the game, he's only the second person mm-hmm. to do that, and the, the, the guy that that is above him is you know you know put out there on a pedestal as the greatest ever. So you know it's. It's it's a massive it's a massive achievement, and he's a very hard worker as well. Um, probably some of the things that, well, obviously people outside of our office wouldn't see um, the time and effort that Benny puts into his his preparation. He's had a lot of um, he's had two uh, injury issues that have been similar to what I've had in the past. So both of us have had shoulder reconstructions, and Benny and I are on pretty similar. Um, strength programs and things that we are and aren't allowed to do and um, you know I always see him doing those extra things in the gym and um, the hip surgery that I had he's got a, a similar condition um, not quite at the same stage um, for surgery uh, as yet but he's at a different end of his career as well where he was just keep running for as long as he can so um, the amount of extra training he's got to do to be at the level to physically compete is um, uh, yeah is extraordinary. You, you don't get 350 games if you're not professional in everything you do and 
That's why Benny's there. Yeah. Um, so yesterday I jumped on Twitter and I asked um, if anyone had any questions that they would like answered on our uh, podcast. Very, and very dangerous. I knew it was dangerous. <laughs> I knew it would be a dangerous, uh, a dangerous activity. It actually wasn't too bad. But yeah, generally people took it in the right way. Um, you know, we're always going to have a couple of people who want to have a, a shot or use it for, for a negative reason. But fortunately, we actually got sent a number of um, questions, which is, is great to see. Um, and we'll do our best to answer as many as we can. Unfortunately, we won't have enough time to answer all of them on this week's episode. But, but yeah, over, over the next couple of weeks where it can fit in, we, we'll jump on. Yeah, so we've compiled that list together. And if people continue to shoot questions through, I'm just going to add them to the list. And each week we'll try and knock off a few uh, a few questions. Uh, so we thought we'd start, because it's quite topical, we'd start with the penalty try in the Origin game to Will Chambers. And we actually spoke about uh, these sorts of incidents last week, and we have spoken about them before, but because it is it is topical and on everyone's mind, because a penalty try in Origin is, is a big moment, uh, we thought we'd sort of discuss why it was awarded and a few other factors around it. Yeah, and, and the big factor is, and, and this is, and we've spoken about it um, previously on this podcast, around the misconception for a penalty try is that you know, the player had to be guaranteed to have scored a try. Players never guaranteed to score a try, no matter what the situation is. One of the commentators during the game actually well, said that, that. And that's the problem, that the commentator comes across and says, that's not a penalty try, he wasn't 100% guaranteed to score. It's not what our factors are. The factor is, would he most likely have been in a position to score a try? So that's going to be debatable. And it's in the referee's opinion, it's in, it's in the opinion. a try would have been scored. Yeah, and in this case, you've got a player taken out who then is the player who gets to the ball, although it just passed the dead ball line, but actually gets to the ball and almost grounds the ball well, on the dead ball line. Well, he, he actually do, he doesn't just get to it. He grounds the ball. So if, if the in goal was 30 centimetres longer, he actually puts downward pressure on that ball. Yeah, so, so the factors for, for the referees, and, and in this case the, the, the bunker review officials, were how much of an impact did that bump have on Will Chambers? And when you look at it, it probably I, I look at it and I go, it's probably a metre. Close to a metre. So if, if he doesn't get bumped, he gets that ball a metre earlier, he's way in. Yeah. And, there are, and the other factor is there are no defenders in anywhere near the ball that would have you know, competed for the ball yeah. with him. So to me, this one is a lot easier to, to call as a penalty try instead of just a penalty. Yeah. And, and like I said, they're, they're going to be debatable and people are going to say, well, you know, how far is this and how did we know the ball goes dead and, you know. Yeah. But, but to me, this is more... A penalty try than not. Yeah. So yeah, I didn't have any and, any issues over the and, decision. And we also had people asking about Jack Whiten's, like the, the actual the level of the interference. Okay, was it interference? Is he holding his ground and all that sort of stuff? So I guess what we look at there with with Jack Whiten's movement was that lateral movement. Yeah. So if Jack Whiten literally plants his feet and stands there, and Will Chambers initiates the contact with him, then. Um, it's not going to be a penalty, and we see that in in, in other games. I think there was another one in, in within that game where a player just hold, does holds, holds yeah holds their ground. Um, if a player, so if Jack White was standing there and then turns and actually runs towards the ball, and yep, we're not expecting them to turn on on a dime and and not move to the side. That's another thing. But to take a lateral step, um, that's different. Yeah, and, and there's also a rule in the rule book that states that if I'm challenging for the ball, we can go shoulder to shoulder. Mm-hmm. So if Jack White turns and bumps in with his shoulder as he's trying to compete for the ball, then it's play on. Yeah. So 
in, in a fraction of a second, the referee's got to make that judgment. At the NRL level, we're fortunate enough that we have you know, facilities to, to, to take that away from us, to make it, our job a bit easier because we can send that to the bunker. And in nearly all occasions of a penalty try, that's what will happen because then we have you know, the, the ability to stop and freeze frame and, and have a look at players' actions where live some actions that look like they're fine aren't and vice versa, some actions, actions that you think, oh, that has to be a penalty. You know, it's just in, incidental con- on contact. All these things that you just can't see as the referee. So if you're refereeing that, so if Jerry Sutton was there and is in a particular body position and actually can't see where a potential defender coming across to compete for that ball, where they came from or how far away they were. So and that's something that that's, can be difficult to, to judge on. But to give a rap to the referees here on field, they said penalty try. Yeah. So if we didn't have the bunker facilities, they would have awarded a penalty try and would have been absolutely correct yeah. on it. Yeah, yes. But And off the back of that, there's another question around, well, why can't it be penalty try and sin bin? And that, that, that's out of the equation. So it's, it's one or the other. So if, if it's deemed that the, the action would have resulted in a try and we give the penalty try, that's the only action we take. Where if it's deemed that... There was no try to be scored or the player wasn't most likely to, to score the try. Then we look at, okay, professional foul, sin bin. But yep. we don't go, we don't double dip. Du- double dip. So the way I explain this to people is that effectively they're two different rules for two different incidents. So it's, it's actually not the same incident. So we can't award a penalty try and sin bin yes. someone. So it's like if I have an offside player on the 10 metres who runs up and makes a tackle and tackles someone high – well, I can't award two penalties. Yes. They're two separate incidents. I can only pick one of them, and I'll pick whichever one was in, in that particular. Yeah. yeah, in that particular example, I would pick the ten metre penalty because it, it, it may be a greater advantage. Uh, uh, yeah, unless you unless take further action I was going to take further tackle, action, then you take that. Yeah. Exactly right. So there's yeah. all sorts of factors that come into that. Um, but we had that sort of question on that topic from from quite a few people, so I thought it was worth um, well, worth the, speaking about. Well, the debate around that is if if. <laughs> If it's your playmaker that's um, done the foul, if, if you're the op- opposition team, you probably would rather the um, sin bin than the try in some occasions. So, it, you know, it's, it's, it's quite debatable. Yeah, so people have spoken about that. And we actually said it at the time to each other sitting at home going, oh, should we have a rule where there's the op- where it's almost like captain's option? Yeah. Okay, what do you want? Do you want the penalty try or, or a sin bin? And yeah. just to see how that plays out. But uh, I, I don't think that's the right way to go because, like I said, they're, they're actually two different incidents and – to have that, to to, to have that, um, to distinguish between the two, I think is is the right way to go because I think there can be disparity between the sim bin and the penalty. What option they'll take based on who the player is. Yeah. If you have an opportunity, as if you're the team who has been offended against, and the person who's going to be sim binned is their key playmaker, for example, compared to with with no disrespect, a player who comes yeah. off the bench and plays in whatever the. Yeah, one of the a, forwards one of the, or edge back row, oh, an edge back row, yeah. Um, then you'd be more likely, and then depending on the scoreline of the game and how long there time is of the game. time of the game, if there's if there's two minutes to go in the game, well, I'm more likely to, to take want the try. The, to take the try. Yeah. So I think there's just too much. Um, there's not too much grey area. We love grey area, but probably but the, too much. This is the game. The game creates debate, and people <laughs> talk, and people, you know, everyone has opinions, and everyone has solutions. So it's yeah. awesome. Um, well. I, on speaking about the the bunker, I'll go to one of our other questions. Um, someone asked about why do we guess <laughs> or as to whether something's a try or a no try? If we're not sure, why don't we just set it up saying we're not sure? 
I'd love the signal for I have no idea because we've got the try and no try. I'd love the no idea signal. You just got to like, stand there scratching your head? Yeah, scratching my head. Looking or, confused? Or, or two hands up in the air and shrug shoulders. Um, uh, well, we don't guess. Yeah. That's the first thing. We, we, we work hard to make decisions. Yeah, sometimes, you know what? Our life decision's wrong. But sometimes our decisions in the middle of the park are wrong. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but... Yeah, it's not like we don't have any idea and we just go, oh, okay, any, mini, miny, mo, I'll go try on this one. <laughs> it doesn't happen. Um, we make decisions based on if, you know, based on what we've seen or based on indicators to around what we think has happened in there. Yep. You know, generally, they're based around groundings yep. where we're more likely to, to, to have our live decision overturned because at some stage in it, we lose sight of the ball. Oh, and, and the other thing with the um, with the grounding in terms of if a ball's been dropped or not, or gr- like separation and stuff, is that the cameras actually um, pick up things at a speed that's faster than the human eye. Yeah. So it's sort of hard to say you're guessing when, well, no, I wasn't guessing. I saw it, but my human eye actually doesn't work as, as slow as the cameras. Yeah. So, yeah, so the, the decisions that, yeah, generally... Uh, are the toughest ones for us to make are those groundings when there's multiple plays in there or the other one is obstructions so when we're looking at contact and catches because it all happens so quick and we've got so many things to look at at that side at that same time you've got touch judges checking passes you've got referees looking at you know the player about to catch the ball and contact you've got the assist referee looking at where the ball's caught then you've got a player running through the line then you've got another player with the ball so you've got so there's a lot to look at um years of training and instinct put us into the decisions we make and sometimes that is out <laughs> and we 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 um have a decision that's sort of not not the correct decision for that decision but yeah. but I, know, I think the other there, reason there's never a guess I, I think the other reason why we wouldn't wouldn't change it back to what it used to be like where we didn't send a, a live decision up is that we see it every week that there's tries awarded where there's insufficient evidence to overturn the on-field decision. Yep. So there's actually plenty of times where there's no angle of what happened. So someone's got to have an idea. So we go back to what the referee's opinion was, which is why we always give our opinion, give our decision on... Yeah, well, I've, I've, I've been out there for, for both scenarios. So I refereed back before we did give a live decision. Um, and the drama there was... You know, that we'd send something up and then you couldn't see it on camera and then it was like, well, the referee's standing right there. Why did he send it up? Mm-hmm. So, you know, either, either way we go, we sort of can't win. But I like the system because what it does is it creates an option for the bunker officials to make a quicker decision. Mm. Because if they look at it from two different angles and go, you know what, we've got, you know, instead of having to look at it four or five more times just in the hope that they might find something, they can go, well, the referee's there, he's made a live decision, we're insufficient to overturn, let's get on with the game. Yep. Um, someone asked a question about the Simbin clock and how, how it works. So when does the Simbin clock start and, and, and stop. So the Simbing clock, the 10 minutes is timed um, as per game time. So not real time. Yep. So uh, where a head injury assessment is real time. So a player is off the, has to be off the field for 15, 15 minutes, minutes. That's 15 real minutes. Yep. Whereas the Simbing clock is 10 minutes of game time. So every time the referee calls the clock off, calls time out, the Simbing clock also stops. Yes. So it's relevant to whatever the clock is on uh, Yes, they yeah, missed the ground. Yeah, so they missed 10, 10 minutes of game time. Yeah. Um, 
we're going to have to wrap it up there because we're going to run out of time today. But like I said, we've got all these questions still written here. So stay tuned in, in other weeks. We'll definitely get around to them because there's some really topical um, questions. There's also a few questions that people asked, which I think could make episodes you know, in their own right, yeah, so, which, which sure. we need to, yeah, spend a bit more time delving into, and we'll definitely, uh, we'll definitely do that moving into the future. So, uh, Badge, what are you up to this weekend? Yeah, so um, we've got Thursday night out at Bankwest Stadium, uh, South versus Tigers, um, and then I get the little junket up to Darwin. So I'm heading up to Darwin to be the standby referee for that game on Saturday, I think. golden trip of the weekend. So, so, so yeah, I get to, to head up to at this time of year as well. I talk about heading north at this time of year. I love it and and actually fortunate enough to have been to Darwin a few times and, and love the hospitality up there and we always get looked after. So looking forward to it. Where, where's your weekend take you, Case? Uh, I'm touch judging the Newcastle and Brisbane game on Saturday evening in Newcastle. So definitely looking forward to that one. Um, as always, we'd like to encourage people to join our Facebook and Instagram pages. Our Facebook page is NRL Officiating and our Instagram handle is at NRL Officiating. So give us a follow to keep up to date with what's happening in the world of rugby league officials across the country from under sixes through to the NRL. And if you are interested in becoming a referee, please visit refrugbyleague.com. And thank you for listening to this week's Refs Roundup. Bye. Bye.